mean, as for my background, I'm not sure there's all that much to say. I mean, it was I mean, kind of tinkering this stuff and building stuff and then decided to get an engineering degree. Uh, and then after that, I, I came to America, moved to California uh, and did, did a graduate degree in electrical engineering and kind of always had like a vague interest in AI. I mean, you know, always kind of seemed like it'd be more and more relevant as time goes on. Uh, but didn't really do much with it. I was usually, I mean, I was working on like electrical engineering projects. I worked on some side projects and won some competitions in in college that were kind of unrelated to AI. Uh, but then the first job I applied to after getting my graduate degree was uh, was to be an intern at Coma. That was back in in 2017. And uh, yeah, basically got that job. And I was working as a GPS engineer at Coma in the beginning. I did that for like probably a year or two doing like classical slam algorithms and classical controls, that kind of stuff. Uh, then graduated into machine learning and eventually became CTO here, basically running all of the machine learning stuff. And I mean, we do pretty sophisticated machine learning at Coma. Uh, not sure how familiar you are with exactly what it is we do or, or how the system works. But yeah, I think we're, we, we try to build like an end-to-end -end machine learning driving system, which means uh, learning to drive by watching humans drive. So there's no, no, no hand coding, no rules, stuff like that. And so far it's been pretty successful. I mean, what we've shipped is truly end to end, um, and has learned how to drive from human behavior. So that's kind of the short rundown, I guess. Yeah, no, it, uh, you know, obviously we research your project before you come on. Um, but it's also good to like, have you explain things like we don't know what it is just for the audience, but it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I told Hunter, I was like blown away by what you guys are doing. So from my understanding, the comma is the company and then the technology behind it is open pilot. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, okay. comma is a company and we, we sell devices like our most recent product is a comma three X, which is a device you can install in your car. It runs open pilot and it will give you essentially Tesla autopilot like functionality on cars that would otherwise not have it like Toyota Corollas or Honda Civic, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it gives you, so, I mean, it'll control gas brakes, steering, and can basically drive for you on the highway. I mean, it's level two, you have to pay attention. And we are trying to expand that. Uh, similar to Tesla FSD, I would say our approach is quite different, though. Uh, as of recently, Tesla's kind of pivoted towards more end-to-end. -end. Not really clear to me yet what they mean by that, but uh, it seems like they're going more in the direction that we've been kind of aiming for for a long time. Uh, and it seems like they're making a lot of progress there. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. So just to be clear, like someone can use the code on open pilot for example put it on their own computer and run this in their car right now if they wanted to uh yeah i mean in theory it's it's not quite that simple like okay, okay. You know, like, it's a computer <laughs> set up to support it and then you uh -huh. need like an interface to co actually connect to the car and you need like a camera that looks similar to the cameras we use but i mean basically yes and i mean it's licensed so that you can do that but there's some like practical implementations on running it on arbitrary hardware. Okay, so is does Comma offer a product that uh, the end user could buy to make it simpler for them? Yeah, right yeah. Now? so that's that's the Comma three X. So that's just out of the box. You just install OpenPilot, everything works. That's that's uh, that's what we sell. So you're so saying in the U.S. right now, or I, I don't know if it, it do you, is it available in the U.S. or is it available yeah, everywhere? Yeah, well, I mean, it's actually quite interesting that you know what OpenPilot is and you don't know. I mean, this has been a recurring theme, I think, is that you know what OpenPilot is, but don't know that we sell a product that runs it. And I really wonder why that is, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's because you, I guess, from my perspective is like, I hear I hear things about self-driving cars with Tesla, other, you know, big, big car, big car companies. But to hear that a you can buy a product 
and then put it in your car to self-drive when Tesla doesn't even have that perfected yet. And I know that I'm, I'm sure you guys are, it's always a work in progress, but I was like, how is this not a bigger story than, than, than I've heard I mean, about before? Because it, it came out of nowhere, story, you know? But uh, I mean, to be clear, it's not a self-driving car, right? It's, it's, uh, it's lane, it's, uh, you know, level two ADAS, okay. similar to Tesla autopilot. Uh, uh -huh. But just to give you some information, like, so out of our user base, uh, I mean, I'm just looking at our own website now. And uh, so, yeah, 56% of miles driven are driven by OpenPilot with users that have the system installed. So it, it drives a lot of the time. Humans have to pay attention and take over when it makes mistakes. But mm -hmm. it is clearly very actively used and useful. I mean, is it true that, like, self-driving cars, nobody's has that right now, right? Like, and that might not happen for a while? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's my perspective. It depends what you mean by a self-driving car. Like, Cruise and Waymo are driving cars with no actual driver in the driver's seat that okay. take passengers. Uh, but there's a long list of caveats. Whether you call that a self-driving car is kind of depends on what you define. I would say no, because they're supervised remotely. They operate under caveats that I, I think kind of deal breakers. Um but yeah, I think there is no legitimate self-driving car and there's not expected to be anytime soon is my perspective. But if you got 56% of the time driving, that's pretty awesome. I mean, Sure, but it's like 56% is great and that's a very useful product and which is why our users like using it. But, you know, even if you're 99%, if you want a real self-driving car, you need 99.99999, right? Sure. Humans don't get into accidents that often. And okay. you need extremely high reliability to replace that. I guess my point is just for the fact that you can... 56% is a pretty large number and for not, not a lot of people know about you guys. And I think that's a, a huge thing. Like somebody could go out right now, buy your product and have their car be self-driven by you. I know I'm using the wrong terms probably, but yeah, uh, assisted 56% of the time. That's pretty significant and pretty awesome. I mean, I don't yeah. think like, I think a, like the large majority of the public does not know that this product even exists. Yeah, no, I agree. Wish more yeah. people would know about it. So how, how long have you been with the company? Uh, so I've been with the company a little over six years. And do you know how long the company's been around? Yeah, I think like, uh, it would be like maybe two years prior to me joining. And then uh, you, you mentioned that you came to the United States. Where did you come from? Where are you from originally? Uh, so I'm from Belgium originally. So I went to university there and stuff. And then oh, cool. moved here for like my graduate studies on a scholarship and kind of went from cool. there. So... There's obviously two sides to this. Like there's this AI component, behind the scenes component, and then there's some sort of hardware component. Could you just tell us tell us about um, each of those components? What does this hardware look up? Like, like if somebody gets your product, the Comma 3, and what does it look like? How do they actually hook it up to their car to, to get this working? And then what is happening behind the scenes to get this Work. Sure. Yeah, I can give a quick overview. Uh, I'll add some context as well. Is like when you know, Calm AI started. That the big thing that we were standing behind was is that this is predominantly a software issue. That the reason we don't have self-driving cars is not because we don't have good actuators or good hardware or good computers. It's because we don't have the software to be a self-driving car, right? So the focus at the beginning, especially, was to be uh, you know driven by AI. And at that time, we were essentially using Android phones like OnePlus 3Ts and laterly Ecola Pros, uh, which we were repurposing, flashing with new OSs and running OpenPilot on them and selling that uh, with some additional electronics. Now we sell something that is purpose-built and, uh, you know, it's completely built in-house and actually designed to like run in your car and stuff. But in essence, a lot of the parts are still there of it being essentially like 
similar to a mobile phone in that it has, you know, central computer, it has connectivity, it runs, you know, some version of Linux, uh, it has uh, cameras, it has microphones, it has speakers, and then that interfaces with the car in, I mean, something that we call the Panda, but it's essentially some kind of CAN interface that allows us to read messages from the car's CAN bus and send messages on the car's CAN bus. And the way it works on most cars that we support is there's a camera mounted in the windshield that will send messages to the car to steer left, right, and to brake uh, to use the car's own like AEB system, ACC system, and LCAS system. And so we can read those messages, reverse engineer them, and then when we run OpenPilot, we block their messages and send our own, essentially having full electronic control of the car uh, while still maintaining all their APIs. So all the safety systems that they implemented for themselves are still completely active when we use it. And that's a really important distinction. There are ways you can you know, electronically control a car that you definitely wouldn't want to drive on the road. Uh, and we don't do that. This is the way you know these APIs are intended to be used. I mean, there's a huge safety concern, right? Like, so are there any kind of regulations that you guys have to work with in order to put your product out on the road? So not so much regulations as like uh, specs and guidelines, like there's mm -hmm. the ISO specs. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they're extremely clear about what they recommend and we follow all those recommendations. I think almost all of them are very sensible. And I can give you examples of what those are. It's like, um, so the, the we have a safety model that we, you know, abide by uh, that we like came up with. And it, it says a few things, which is, if you take over control of the vehicle, you should always have control and not be resisted, right? So control should always be given back to the user when the user wants it. That makes total sense. The second is the car should never react so quickly that if the user notices it doing something wrong, it doesn't have time to take over. Like, for example, you could imagine if you turn the wheel so quickly, even if the human was paying attention, they couldn't safely react. So that's also, it shouldn't react so quickly. And then the last one is that a human must be paying attention at all times. And we also enforce that by monitoring the driver, uh, their head position, their eyes open, closed, etc. And all of those things are in some way also worded in the ISO specs. They'll say things like the car cannot jerk laterally faster than this much over this amount of time. And we also enforce all those limits. Okay. Uh, so there's a whole spec, there's a whole guidelines, and usually people respect them and, and we do too. But there's no like legal legal things that you have to go through to, to test the software uh, through government regulations or anything like that. It's all just recommendations. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. They're they're okay. recommendations. They're sensible, and generally, people in the industry follow them. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of how it works. So, for example, when you like say if the car was about to get in an accident and the person's behind the wheel, but he doesn't have his hands on the wheel, it's from what you're saying is. The, the program, um, OpenPilot's not going to jam on the brakes super fast because that's going to be too fast for, for your threshold. So the person would have to sort of see what's going on as well and then slam on the brakes himself. There's some uh, nuance there, which is there's some limits on how hard you can brake in what's called like ACC mode okay. uh, in the systems, which is if it requires extremely hard braking, what is expected is that you enter AEB mode, which is automatic emergency braking, which most modern cars ship with uh, and is active even when you don't engage any of the assistance systems. So even when OpenPilot is disengaged, for example, gotcha. on the cars that we support, the systems AEB will still kick in. And so that in, in the spec also, if you use that, you're allowed to use very high braking. And there's some more different caveats there. 
where you can never really be jerky under any conditions is with the steering. Um, and so what is the use case most of the time for, for, for comma, the comma system or open, for open, open pilot underneath it? Is it mostly for, is the best use case for driving on the freeway? It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a convenience feature. If you drive long drives on the highway, I mean, you'll hear people say this is how I feel about it. It just makes long drives on the highway way, way more comfortable. <laughs> so I can drive 10 hours now, no problem. And, you know, sometimes I travel, I get a rental car and I have this attitude of like, you know, six, seven hours driving, no problem. And I always immediately notice like, oh, crap, this car doesn't have open pilot. This isn't as great as I remember. <laughs> Uh, so I think, I mean, that's the use case. It's like a really nice convenience on long highway drives. And what does it look like? Are you, so you get on the freeway with, with, uh, it installed and how does it work? Like, can you just, does it shift lanes a lot? Does it, how does it, does it go in the fast lane? Do you set like certain speed limits? Like how does it feel uh, when you're actually in the car? It's like cruise control in that you, you set like a cruise control speed and that's the okay. upper limit. And in the default way that we ship, it just slows down for lead cars and respects the speed limit you set. We also mm -hmm. have an end to end mode where it like use the gas and brakes the way it thinks a hu human would, in which case it will slow down for turns. It will drive, you know, what it thinks is an appropriate speed, stop at red light, stop at stop signs. That's, we call that experimental mode. It's not really that polished and only like 25% of our users use it okay. uh, because it's not that polished. Uh, but yeah, so those are kind of the two modes. And the way you use it, I mean, again, we override the buttons of the stock ACC of the car. So it's the same as engaging cruise control. It's just when you engage now cruise control, it's like it will do, you know, the whole thing. It will do the steering. It will brake for cars in front of you, that stuff. So it'll switch lanes, everything, and then when so it when... doesn't change lanes unprompted. So the the way it works is you it'll stay in your lane, and then if you want to make a lane change, you put on the blinker and you touch the steering wheel, and then it will execute the lane change smoothly. But so you prompt the lane changes. Got it. So it just sees that you're touching via camera the the, the steering wheel. No, there's like a sensor in the steering wheel on on all cars, basically. Really? Well, that's true. Like uh, I know my wife's. We just got a new Honda Odyssey minivan, and you know, if you take your hands off, it'll say keep steering. So it sounds like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's just a right. torque sensor. There's like a. I mean, every steering on with electronic steering, you have a torque sensor that measures human torque on the steering wheel uh, to amplify it with the electronic steering, and you can just use that to detect like. If the human's touching, basically. So okay. is that is that kind of why it can't be used on some cars? What's the limitation that determines it can be used on this car, but it can't be can't be used on this type of car? I mean, there's various limitations. Generally, it's just we need like a certain set of things, which a lot of cars have and some don't. So we need to be able to intercept the camera, basically, so that we can sense steering, gas, and brake commands. Uh, Part of the thing that's necessary for experience is we don't want people to have to touch the steering wheel to prove they're paying attention. We want, you know, you looking outside forward and being awake to be enough. Uh, some cars don't allow for that. They hard code you having to touch the steering wheel every six minutes, for example, uh, in their ADAS system. Uh, just random limitations like that. In some cars, the install is very inconvenient. You have to, like, plug stuff in under the dash or in the boot. That makes it kind of, like, impractical as a product. Uh, so there's all kinds of reasons, really, but a surprising amount of cars are supported. So it's That's not awesome. necessarily an old car versus a new car. It's kind of these random little things. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of random little things. Your car kind of has to be newer than like 2016, 2017, because that's when they started building all these APIs in the cars to start accepting these messages. So generally, that's kind of the threshold. Um, most likely, if your car has some kind of lane keep assist and like cruise control ACC, 
then it will be supported if it's newer. Unless there's any weird stuff like I just mentioned. Okay. And so you, you said there's like 56% of the time your users are using it. Uh, you mentioned it sometimes not being polished on certain tasks. So what is the limitation there? Uh, where's the current work being done to kind of improve that 56% to maybe like 70 or 99? Uh, yeah, I can. So I just want to add to that that it's 56% of miles. And given that most of the engagement is on the highway, right, right, right. Yeah. Different, that comes down to like 30% of time. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, with that said, so we want to build an end-to-end -end system that basically looks at human driving and learns how to drive like that. Uh, we want to do this by writing a simulator and have the machine learning train in that simulator. Um, that means that however good your final system will be is limited by the quality of your simulator. So one thing you could do is you could train in a classical simulator, like for example, GTA 5. You know, GTA 5 is a pretty good simulator. You can drive around and you can kind of figure out how to drive in that simulator. But it's not realistic. The road widths aren't real. Uh, it only shows American environments, whereas you want our system to work everywhere. Uh, so that that's a no-go. I mean, you, you can build dedicated simulators, which is what some companies do, but it's kind of this endless project. Like, okay, now you've got to add the India texture pack and all that stuff. Hmm. So we want to build a simulator that's based off real data so that if we could just take in more new data, our system will become capable of driving in that kind of data. Um, the way our simulator works now is essentially you take a video of driving and you can simulate like movements forward, back, left and right by re by estimating the depth of the scene and reprojecting it. And this allows you to deviate from where the human drove. And then we can teach a model to recover from those deviations. Does that make sense? It does. Is it is your, your philosophy, for lack of a better word, to, to go about emulating human driving compared to is, is it sounds like your system is a lot different than other self-driving systems or self-assisted systems. Yeah. I mean, okay. what I would say the other ones that call them like rule-based, classical, uh, in that, you know, they, they have some set of optimizations, which is like stay between lane lines, stay behind stop lines, you know, don't hit pedestrians. Uh, we don't really believe that kind of stuff scales. We think the best way to do this is to mimic human behavior. And then maybe if you did that well, you can do some tweaks at the end. But I mean, we're nowhere close to that and neither is anyone else. Um, so yeah, that, that is a pretty big distinction. And when you say like uh, simulate human behavior, that's based off the simulation that you put in, in the in the machine that you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, there's more to elaborate there, which is that. Mm -hmm. So like I was saying, we simulate in the simulator where we reproject the scene, knowing something about the depth of the scene. Uh, but this is limited because the quality of that simulation is limited, first of all, by how good you can reproject and how much reprojection in general makes sense. And both those things are flawed. We are not very good at depth estimation. And you can't reproject the entire scene. Like, you can't reproject reflections. You can't reproject the you know, illumination of headlights and other lights. Uh, so that's a big limitation there. And what you also can't reproject is uh, counterfactuals. If you move towards a bus in the lane next to you, in the real world, that bus will react. But in our simulation, because we're just reprojecting, it won't. So that's a okay. limitation of our simulator. And the biggest one is just in general, it doesn't look that good because reprojection isn't that great. Uh, and so when you ask, okay, why isn't it engaged more? That's the main reason. The simulation is limited in quality. And we want to move to a machine learning simulation, which is essentially just a machine learning model that just predicts video. Uh, awesome. And that's what we're working on actively. Other people are working on this too. And once that works, we expect the performance of our system 
to just skyrocket. It's a really exciting time. Like it sounds like, yeah, yeah once machine learning is, it's better at machine learning, your product's going to be way better, like exponentially. So yeah, I, don't know if, uh, I can send a video if you just want to see it of basically what we're working on. That would be great. Um, it's, it's difficult to get machine learning models to predict video, right? Um, but that is the goal. And once you have that, it should predict the entire distribution of like human driving that it's trained on. And so that's extremely powerful idea because then you don't need any engineers to hand code any rules, to hand code any types of road, any of that stuff. So it's super scalable. Here so you, are you essentially writing your own like large language model for self-driving? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So I just posted a Twitter link of a video we posted, which is uh, just a video basically that's completely imagined by this model that we trained. And that's okay. kind of what we imagine this future of simulation to be. And you can see in the video, it's clearly not perfect. Uh, so, you know, but uh, it's, it's pretty good. It, you can see the basics of what it's doing. And, and that's kind of the future that we're, we're working towards. And what's the, um, what's the backend tech look like? I know you're the CTO, so <laughs> you, you have a, a um, you know, um, extensive, extensive background in, in this area. Yeah, I mean, so so what do you mean with the backend tech? Like how we train these? Like what, what's your code, what code do you use? What's the, I mean, I, it's, it's all open, open, uh, open source, but like, what's the tech behind tech stack behind everything? Yeah. I mean, it's so open source. We mostly use, I mean, the training stack's not open source by the way, but we just use yeah. like, Python. I mean, it's all pretty standard stuff. Uh, we mostly use Python. Uh, some of the time critical and runtime stuff is written in C. Is there any, like, is there any calls to the cloud or anything like that? Or is it all locally on the, on the computer, like in uh, the car? No, there's no to the cloud. I mean, so everything on the device runs on the device, not okay. the cloud. And then even our training, we have a local data center that, you know, we built internally uh, that runs all the training. We don't train in the cloud. It's very expensive. And I mean, that, so that's a, those are some, some of the things that we actually, uh, you know, are strong believers in is, and where we deviate from the norm is some, most companies train in the cloud. Uh, we think this is a really bad idea, first of all, because it's expensive. Uh, cloud can be up to an order of magnitude more expensive if you have 100% utilization of uh, training GPUs over a year. But it also just incentivizes the wrong things. It makes, let's say you want to do a random experiment. You think some engineer thinks, oh, if we change this to the models, they'll perform better. Now, if you're training in the cloud, that's a pretty significant cost to do mm -hmm. that experiment. And it makes experiments harder to justify. Whereas if you buy an entire data center and it's sitting downstairs okay. and it's idle, now all of a sudden you're incentivized to do experiments because the alternative is that your expensive GPUs are not doing anything. Um, and so it, I think it, it incentivizes the right kind of behavior you want in machine learning research, which is that oh. if somebody has some ideas, experiments are the answer, not like arguing about it and figuring out if it's worth the cost. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, want those GPUs going on wasted. So it's like self-motivating right there to do something. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So something we ask a lot of people who we talk to is a more general question about AI, apart from this project in particular, what is your general opinion of the direction of AI? And when I mean that, I mean, you can answer it as open-endedly as you'd like. But some people have said, you know, we're going towards a, a time where AI is going to take these mundane tasks out of your life so you can focus on, you know, other things. Other people say it's like has more of a relational component of like people are having more relationships with AI, AI friends, AI companions, things like that. Where do you see the direction of AI more generally headed? Um, I mean, I'm not sure of where I expect it to go, but I know that what I'm excited for 
is to have uh, like household cleaning robots. Like <laughs> we live in a future where in like Fallout, you've got your own little, you know, little nanny robot roaming around the house, keep stuff clean, cleans up after you when you cook, cooks for you when you ask it to. That's what I want. And that doesn't seem impossible, especially with recent, uh, in, you know, with recent innovations. This seems like hopefully we'll all die with robots taking care of the house. And that just seems so incredibly exciting. Like I've got like one of those new Roborock vacuums that has like all the AI and LiDAR and whatever. I think it's it's cool. Like it's not it's not actual AI by, you know, any real any modern standards. And it can be way, way, way better. But even that makes me happy. So if that's the future, I think it's possible. Someone's going to build it. I don't know how rel how how big of a part of, uh, you know, future AI innovations it will be. But that's the part I want to work towards. And that's what I'm excited about. Heck yeah. I mean, if I, I've got three little kids of my own at home and our house is a mess. So that would sound right. amazing to have someone clean up after everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And yeah. I mean, you know, you buy these cleaning robots now and it just always feels like you're babysitting them. And less and less so over time. I mean, they used to be worse, but I expect, you know, with the innovations that were happening now, in, in, in years, they will become incredibly reliable and hard to get them to, to mess up, which okay. would just be incredible. I'd pay $20,000 for a household robot that cleans the house and doesn't have issues, like, at least once every few months. I mean, that sounds amazing. Well, I mean, uh, paying a cleaning lady at once a week, it might equate to that much money. So anyways. So. Yeah, and it comes with all these other issues, too. Is that, okay, you got to talk to them. you got to make sure they're happy. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's a pain, that. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you guys have a little, I saw you have a little robot, too, right? So we have what we call Coma Body. And so originally when the company started, our mission was to solve self-driving cars while shipping intermediaries. <coughs> And when we say self-driving cars, we mean build some kind of AI solution that will, you know, drive itself uh, in a car. And that's much bigger than like encoding the traffic rules. We've always imagined some kind of end-to-end -end system. Like how do you learn driving from scratch in a sensible way, right? And in, in, in our case, that means, you know, start by looking at how humans drive and you start to imitate them. That's how we learn how to drive too. So, you know, you drive with other people, they supervise you, all that kind of stuff. And so now... You know, we've made a lot of progress on that and the, the rest of the world has too. And we've expanded that long-term scope in like solving robotics uh, while shipping intermediaries. Self-driving is a subset of robotics. And in general, in both machine learning anywhere, when you move to more general approaches, you tend to see better performance. It's like more work and long-term, but, you know, there's all these models previously, like language models that would do stuff like, you know, they would do legal help, they would do medical help, and all these models and all these companies look ridiculous now in comparison to ChatGPT. And ChatGPT is just a general language predictor. And I expect the same will happen in robotics, which is that general purpose robotics AI solutions will solve self-driving, indoor navigation, household cleaning, all better than any specific solution ever has until that point. And so that's the line of thinking that we're along and also why we're like randomly experimenting with like household ro robots, because it makes us think like, okay, what is the general purpose approach here that will solve all these problems better than anything specific ever has, which is what I expect will happen. I mean, it's what happened to language. And I think that's just generally how ML progress will go. Okay. Because you're, you're, the technology for driving cars can be ported over to robots pretty easily in a, in a way, like once you get yeah. it to that point. I mean, the, you know, the basics is it's going to be video based, you know, humans navigate the world, mostly through vision, 
So you're going to have some kind of machine learning model that takes in video, has some general understanding of physics and the scene around it, and will make some decisions based on that. And obviously, it'll be somewhat different when it comes to indoor navigation sure. versus navigating on roads, but there is more similar than there is different. Okay. And generally speaking, when you generalize more in machine learning, you get better results. Um, and so, yeah, we built this robot and it, we built it as kind of an experimental thing to work with that, to think about robotics, to think about which solutions would salt would work for both self-driving and robotics and can they be you know better than what we were relying on so far okay um, and so that's why we did it and uh yeah so this weekend we're doing a hackathon with them we've got like 20 of those little wheeled robots so they don't really do much by themselves they basically run open pilot and we'll get people to kind of tinker with them we've got like a little you know route through the office we want them to drive that's kind of the challenge for this weekend is like, there a, is there a link to that as well that we can post or that's this weekend. I think it's going to be too late. Yeah, that's this weekend. I mean, it's like a it's like an invite event, invite only event. Uh, but we'll try to post some like videos of you know how people did and and the prizes and the presentations at the end for what people did. I think we'll we'll post all of that on our Twitter. Awesome. Okay. And for someone that wants to buy your product, like what does the install look like? Is it sort of like installing like a dash cam or something like that? Um, can people do it themselves? Do you guys recommend? Someone install it for you. How yeah, does no, that it's work? It's exactly like a like a dash cam. It's pretty okay. much the same. But you just like stick it to the windshield, and then there's like one cable you plug in uh, by the camera, which just requires moving the trim. I mean, if, if if you if you watch the instructional and you've got a normal car, it should take like twenty minutes. And then you route a cable down to the OBD two port. It, it's really it's it's definitely meant for people to do it themselves. It's not that hard. All right. And so can we ask that. you how much this it costs as well? Yeah. So let me just uh, go to the website. So I don't know. Uh... But yeah, it's twelve fifty now, and then do you need like a special cable for each car, and that's like two hundred dollars. So all up, it's fourteen fifty, and then should be no, good to go for the car. I mean, for especially if you're driving long distance on the freeway, a lot of people I think could put good use to that. So it's not yeah, too bad. and we have a thirty day no questions asked return policy. If you want to try it, please. You can even try it on a rental car if you're just curious. All right, and well, how does it work in terms of like firmware update? Well, it's not. Yeah, firmware updates and software updates are those done over the over the wire or like how do, how do those get updated? Uh, yeah, so I mean, just connect it to Wi-Fi and it'll okay. update. Uh, it doesn't doesn't modify the software in your car or anything like that. I had a question about you mentioned before and then you mentioned again how there's kind of two way. There's a way you're doing things differently, and that's by trying to replicate human behavior mm -hmm. rather than giving them a set of rule, like giving the AI some sort set of rules, like stay between these two lines or something like that. And yeah. you said that that scales better. Could you just kind of reiterate or, or go into a little bit? Why do you think that that scales better than maybe a rules type system? And do you, are there any safety concerns with mimicking human type driving rather than some rule type driving? Um, yeah, I'll answer both of those. So first of all, I can give you an example, right? Which is you want to drive through an intersection. Your lane is clear. The light is green. There's a 45 mile an hour speed limit. Okay, no problem, right? You keep driving on your lane. No issues. What if there's a pedestrian, you know, waiting to cross? Now, if that person's wearing a suit, right? And they look calm and they're just standing still, you know, three feet away from the road. You're not going to bat an eye. That's normal. He's waiting to cross. But depending on the demeanor of that person, any normal human driver is going to react 
if that person is like dancing around and looks like they're on drugs, which I mean, you know, I don't know if you live in California or not, but that, that is a thing that happens here. <laughs> around me too, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going to react differently. Or if that's a child, you know, that's very young and looks like they're looking at some ball or something they dropped on the highway, you're going to react to that. And you might consider changing lanes or driving slower or just slightly erring away from the sidewalk. And that's stuff that really is relevant to driving and is important. And it's just a random example. There are many examples like this that you cannot really imagine which kind of rule set would encode that. So that that's the answer to why we don't think that scales. Like if you have a rule-based system and you can see when people work on this, they just keep adding conditions and they keep adding things. And of course, they never got so far as to differentiate the kids from the adults. But if they kept working on it, at some point they would. And they deal with a lot of nuances now that are much less complicated than that, right? Which is, you know, you have to follow lane lines. Well, yeah, usually you do, but sometimes there's constructions. Sometimes there's an exit and the lane lines diverge. Sometimes there are wrong lane lines. Like there's all sorts of stuff. So are most of the technologies that your competitors out there or the self-driving or self-assisted cars that exist right now, are they all rules-based? Are you guys one of the only companies that are uh, simulating human behavior? Oh, yeah, we're definitely the only one that's shipping to any consumers that's simulating human behavior. Uh, Tesla recently is claiming to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing it somewhat differently. I don't fully understand. They haven't released full technical details and they haven't shipped it to users yet. But it does look like they're pushing the same direction, which I think makes sense. I think they're at a good point to do that. And then there are a few other companies that are like us and they say fully end to end all the way, no alternatives. But they don't have any products yet or really anything you can interact with except like demos. Awesome. So you're one of the only players out there, which is great. Um, um, I want to answer that second question too, safety, which is comes up a lot. One of the reasons that like, you know, I would say the older conservative people in this space uh, don't like this approach is they're like, oh, it's a black box. How can you guarantee it works? Right. And I mean, I think that's kind of a bad argument because that's not how humans work either. How can I guarantee that you're going to drive well uh, when you're on the road? Well, I can't. Right. There's some we have some tests that we do on people and some expectations and by how they perform on those tests and how they perform in our evaluations, we make assumptions about how they will drive most of the time. And, you know, you can make more assumptions about humans and how their brain works than you can probably do about AIs. But with some statistical tests, you can totally come up with a pretty confident statement about how the system will perform. Right. You can simulate it. You can simulate it in all kinds of driving conditions that you're worried about. And uh, you can do that on enough data so that you can have the confidence, okay, look, it's not made mistakes for this amount of time. And in all these adversarial cases, I'm confident that, you know, it's reliable. Because you could statistically analyze comma, if you just like say comma is a general driver and then compare them to any other driver out there on the road, you could say by statistically um, some stat, you could say, oh, they're better than 99% of 99.9% .9 of all drivers on the road, something like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we yeah. can't now, but yes. you know, if you have a system that's a complete black box, but happens to be a perfect driver, I am very confident the issue won't be proving that it's good. And like uh, back to what you talked about earlier, like driver assisted cars are, I don't know the exact technical terms, but like, for example, my wife had a Honda CRV. And in it, you could, you know, put on um, cruise control, right? Sorry. You put on cruise yeah. control and it would sort of keep keep its distance from the car in front of you. So if you put on cruise control at 80 miles per hour, I mean, everybody knows this. And the car in front of you slows down to 70. We're going to slow down to 72 because right. it's going to keep its distance. Um, it doesn't change lanes, but it will stay in its own lane. Um, what's the difference between 
what comma offers because you guys don't switch lanes and what's already out there like built into say a honda crv right now yeah i mean so they're basically the same feature set i think there's just a, a massive difference in quality that you know it's hard okay. to put on paper but i think the numbers should speak for themselves those people that you that have those crvs they may use those systems sometimes they definitely don't use them you know 50 to 60 percent of the miles that they drive and i think that should prove that you know there's some pretty significant difference there uh, but yeah, it's, it's really just reliability. On the highway, our system is incredibly reliable and incredibly comfortable. It's not to the level of reliable that you don't have to pay attention, but it is to the level of reliable that you can, you know, sit there pretty comfortably, have the system drive while you just look out for any anomalies. Uh, and that's a pretty big upgrade, right? If you, yeah. I don't know if you've driven much with these other systems, but generally speaking, it won't take long before you end up in a situation where it slams on the brake because the car, lead car is going a little slower, but you... <laughs> would have hit the brakes later, for example, because it's way more comfortable, stuff like that. Like, it's just like this minor stuff where you just get annoyed very quickly when the system's not that good and not that polished. Gotcha. And can you take your hands off the steering wheel with your system? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is a huge hands. difference to, yeah. to what's built in the cars. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's hands-free for hours as long as you're paying attention and look like you're ready to take over. All right. And if, if something does happen, is like... What's the, is there an interface on this product or is it just a, a black box or you put in your car? Like, is there a screen or anything uh, like that? There's a screen. Yeah. I mean, if you, I don't know if you can open a new tab, but you can just open uh, our website and it should be that you should just see a picture immediately of how it works. Awesome. And it, like, so there is a screen. If it, it, there is any kind of danger on the road, does that flash for users or? Yeah. If there's like a reason to take over. So like we have four collision warnings or if there's an issue with the system or whatever, it will flash red and like beep at you. Um, but yeah, the interface that you, uh, you know, manually have with the cars is the same as it normally would be. Like if you turn the steering wheel, you, uh, it will let go of the torque and you'll have control. If you press the brake, the system will disengage, stuff like that. And, and then, so if you, if I take over the steering wheel and then I let go of the steering wheel, it just automatically re goes yeah, back it like to some smooth blending that it does yeah. like it will slowly release torque when your hands are on it it will slowly re-engage it when you okay release. yeah cool i mean I, I instead of asking you questions i'll just have to buy one of these and test it out and see how it goes yeah, I think if, if you're excited about ai and stuff yeah. like that it's and you want to have some fun on the weekend you know rent a support a car if you don't have one you know try it out if you don't like it you send it back all right no that sounds awesome Definitely exciting. And your project. website is comma.ai, right? Yes. Make driving chill. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of stuff on the website that takes you right through like all the different cars, the yes. videos of the cars, kind of good breakdowns and everything. Easy I mean, to yeah, buy we were device. struggling with this issue of people knowing about OpenPilot, not knowing that you can buy the device, which is funny because it's happened to you guys too. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what we can do about it because as you can see, we've put effort to changes in the website, but I don't know. Well, I think I found you guys on GitHub, like the one of the most trending AI projects out there. So that's how I found I you. I found you the reverse way, you know. I see. I yeah. think that is a more common way. I mean, we've got kind of more clout in that community, I guess, than in the consumer electronics community. Yeah. But once your name gets out there, I'm sure that will change. Um, what about like aren't I'd imagine a lot of car companies are reaching out to you guys to sort of want to buy you out or have you partner with them? Is that true or no? Uh, I mean, car companies reach out to us sometimes generally not for reasons that excite us or okay. you know, sound like good ideas well they gotta get their act together i think that'd be a good partnership so you're more you're more yeah. concerned you're more concerned about selling straight to the consumer you're not gonna 
planning on, at least as a company, planning on working with any companies in the future, manufacturers, anything like that? Um, not saying it should never happen, but we're not really planning on it right now. I mean, there's so many advantages to direct to consumer. One of the bigger ones is if we were to ship Hope Pilot on a car in a similar price range that we mostly, I mean, that we're mostly selling to now, we would have to make so many sacrifices in the quality of the experience and, you know, we would have to make sure how to we had to figure out how to train smaller models that can run in the compute limitations of the models that these cars would have. All these compromises that kind of take away from our mission of trying to iterate faster on some really good product uh, or some really good AI product that people enjoy using. And those caveats are hard to get around. The other problem is their release cycles are just so tragically slow. Like if <coughs> if we worked with them today, it would take like four years before that's on the road. And I mean, that means you'd perpetually have a four-year-old system. Like that just kind of doesn't really work that well for us. Okay. And I mean, Tesla, for example, has a completely different approach to this. They have, you know, OTA updates and new hardware and retrofits and all that stuff. Uh, so they also don't like this. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why we... And also our software is MIT free and open source. Uh, we think core companies should use it and they should try it and they should put it themselves. It's free, it's legal, it makes complete sense. Companies like Lucid come out, you know, they advertise this great ADAS, they ship, the ADAS sucks, they have the compute to run OpenPilot, and somehow they're wasting their time developing an in-house system, whereas even if they thought they could do it better than us, at least start with what we have. Don't start from scratch and, like, not ship anything. I don't know, it confuses me. Right. It's like more of an ego thing than anything, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something like that. It's hard for people to to not want to do it in-house or something like that. I don't yeah. Know. It, that totally makes sense for them to try our software. It's free. It's, it's licensed at MIT. Uh, you know, try it. If you don't like it, then sure. But I think it makes sense as a car company, especially in a situation like Lucid, where you have the compute and no software to start with something open source that works. Heck yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe. Um, what about like, um, so the software is free, obviously. We went over that um, a lot already. What hardware, if you don't mind sharing, do you use for the... Um, for the system yeah so i mean like i said it's pretty similar to a mobile phone it has like a snapdragon 845 it has like a nice mobile phone display it has like gps and like a connectivity chip it has you know better gps than a normal phone it has like a high quality antenna and then it has um like three really good uh cameras that are like hdr for you know okay. automotive use very high quality much better than a phone is this uh, is the hardware you guys built custom or had built custom or is it something that was already on the market? No, no, it's completely custom and built in house as well. We have like a oh, circuit wow. board assembly line and everything. Okay, so it's not like you just went out and bought a cell phone and st stuck it in here. This is something that's very proprietary oh, on that aspect, at least, and yes. you guys built in house, which is really cool. Yes. So we used to repurpose a mobile phone with several modifications. That was like our product from years ago and okay. then you know we with what we learned from that we started designing one from scratch um and one other one more question we're getting close to the end here but um are you are you guys vc backed how how, how did you get funding for this can you can you go into a little details about that uh yeah i mean there's been some funding through the years uh i forget what the total amount now is i think it's like 18 million total but i mean we've had more revenue than we've had investment um, and, you know, obviously we've built up a lot of uh, valuable things like the circuit board manufacturing line, the data center, you know, uh, we want to eventually have made more profit than we got investment. You know, our goal is to be self-sufficient and profitable. We're not really looking at raising more investment. 
we kind of want to be bootstrapped. Well, you're you're definitely different than most of the startups out there. I mean, you've been that's, around for a long time, but that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Was there anything else you wanted to to talk to us or share with us or the audience or anything like that about the project? Maybe we didn't talk about. Just reiterate. I mean, the reason that I'm really excited about is that, you know, this is a pretty modern machine learning solution. It learns from human driving. Uh, you know, there's no hand coded rules, and yet we made a product that. You know, it's not super polished yet, and we're working on that, but it'll stop at red lights. It will stop at stop signs without us ever coding that it has to stop at red lights, ever coding what our stop light uh, line is. And you can buy that today with a free ref uh, free refund if you don't like it. So, you know, if you're into the kind of seeing what the state-of-the-art ML products are like, I think it's pretty exciting. Absolutely. You can try out a self-driving car literally this week if you want. <laughs> it's, it's a new consumer product. I think it's exciting, uh, you know. Try it out if you don't like it, send it back. We study projects every day because we have to write tools and stuff for the newsletter, our newsletter. And uh, your project really stands out. It's really cool. And not a lot of people know about it. And I think uh, once they do, it's uh, you guys will be very successful. It's really cool what you're doing. Cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a few times when we were researching different projects and either Ryan and I will get really excited about a project. And Ryan's the one that found this project and he was he was really excited about it. I mean... Ryan doesn't get that excited about projects that often. But this one he was he was really pumped up about. So yeah, it's really fascinating what you guys are doing. So I mean, we're excited about it too. I mean, most of us are here. You know, a lot of times in the office, we're always kind of having fun and keep working on stuff. I mean, it's exciting to see this stuff come together, right? It's like building a consumer product in house. We're doing these cool ML stuff. We've got a data center in the basement. You know, it's also cool to see the whole trajectory, right? It's like we started in a house, and then you know, you get a small office, you get a bigger office. It's cool to see the Absolutely. whole evolution. Yeah, you're growing slowly, like not compared to most of the VC back companies out there. So it's uh, yeah. more power to you guys. I guess now's the time to promote or anything that you want to promote. Um, the website is comma.ai, correct? I don't want to make sure I'm not screwing that up. Um, anything, other, any other kind of links or anything you want right now, go ahead, feel free to promote what, you, what you'd like. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, if you're interested in the in the project, I'd say just check out the website. You know, if you're interested in the product, you can check that out. Otherwise, we've got our GitHub. You know, we've got a lot of community contributors that, you know, either contribute a lot to our project, which is great. A lot of people learn a lot from it, which is also great. Uh, it's always growing. So if you're interested in this sort of stuff, just check out our project, check out the website, I would say. All right. So, yeah, check out the website, comma, C-O-M-M-A dot A-I. Uh, try it out. Uh, very cool project. And check out Ryan and I's newsletter, AI newsletter, fry-ai.com. We do weekday AI news, Monday through Friday, cool tools, community, and the latest stories in a fun and easy to read, easy to understand way. And then we also provide some links and different things for you to look at. And then on Sundays, we do our deep dive articles into very cool AI developments, cutting edge stuff, cutting edge developers. <laughs>